Heavenly Father, uh, as our children head out to Treasure Seekers, Lord, we, we, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for our children and the wonderful blessing it is to see enthusiasm for life, curiosity, uh, and a desire to seek you in all things. So, Father, would you, would you go before them and bless them, Lord, uh, grant uh, every wisdom to their teacher for their inquisitive minds, Lord, to lead them, to show them your love and to introduce them to who you are. And Father, as we, uh, uh, the rest of the church here, uh, come to your word, we ask the same, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would open our ears that we may hear and our hearts that we may understand, that you would continue your work in us, that you would transform us ever more increasingly into your likeness as we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you can head on out. Thank you. Fantastic. Now this morning we're continuing our series called Kingdom Living, looking at Jesus' teachings through the Sermon on the Mount uh, from, uh, in Matthew's Gospel from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. Last week when we began our series, uh, we were unpacking uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We, we called it Kingdom Living because the Kingdom of Heaven is such a central theme to what Jesus is teaching. The kingdom of heaven is everything that God has created, but more than that, it's life God's way, under God's authority, under God's rule and reign and dominion. It's acknowledging that God is king and that we follow life in his way, in his desires, um, and so as we unpack this Sermon on the Mount, we start to see what that looks like. And last week we looked at the Beatitudes and we saw Jesus painting a picture for us of a portrait of kingdom living. What can we expect from living in the kingdom, both as blessings, but also the transformation that takes place within us? And what it looks like to have the kingdom of heaven reflected in our lives. This week, as we continue our Sermon on the Mount, uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at the witness of the kingdom, the testimony of the kingdom. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verse 13. Matthew chapter 5 and from verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here, Jesus is using two very common things that people use every day to express the impact we have when, when we live our lives with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven or authentically, and also, it touches on the difference it makes when we don't. 
The first example that Jesus uses is salt. Unlike today, the salt that we buy from the shop comes from uh, evaporating water or um, other, other sorts of refining. And salt was, was not always found in its pure form. It was, it was mined from salt marshes and, and often contained other, other salts, other contaminants. You see, uh, the, the formula for salt, sodium chloride, cannot be diluted. Like it, it, cannot, it cannot be changed or, or impurified. Salt is salt. But when it's um, mixed in with all of these other impurities, what they had was, was not just pure sodium chloride. They had all sorts of other things there. And uh, it was easy for the salt, the sodium chloride, to get leached out. And the salt was no longer salty. It was no longer useful for, for what they had planned. The second thing that Jesus focuses on is, is light. And in verse 14, he says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, it's often we, we don't fully appreciate the significance of light. When we lived in Gladstone a few years ago, Gladstone is, is a huge port. Um, they have coal and wood, like timber, so they sell trees, um, strip bare of their branches, get loaded onto to boats, and coal gets loaded onto boats, and they've got the LNG gas refinery there, and uh, they've also got uh, the aluminium refinery there. And, and so the port is just filled with these bright lights. And as you're, you're coming, coming in from the highway, you've got to take this road through, through kind of these little back hills, and you see Gladstone coming. You know it's coming because there is this ambient glow from the city. But I thought, you know, an even better example, um, and I was talking to Tony this morning about Dad's Army, the British-UK ser- uh, comedy series. Anyone a fan of Dad's Army? I love Dad's Army. I love the humour. But I also love that it, it allows me as someone born in the latter part of the 20th century, to appreciate how much different life was during World War II, especially over in Europe. And, and you've got the warden, and his, his famous catchphrase is, is what? Put that light out. Put that light out. You know, he's, he's constantly telling people to put their lights out because just one window, one curtain open showing the light from that house into the sky, showed the enemy bombers where that city was. And so Jesus says, you cannot hide the light of a city up on a hill. Light is there to be seen. Back in, in Jesus' day, you know, they, they didn't have electricity, surprise, surprise. Their, their lamps were oil lamps. They, they needed to be tended to and cared for. They needed to be uh, continually fueled with oil, maintained. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is don't lose your saltiness and let your light shine. Don't lose your saltiness and let your light shine. So how do we do that? In, in order to keep our saltiness, the saltiness of our faith, We need to stop it from being diluted. And in order to keep our light shining, we need to do two things. Firstly, we need to not cover it up. 
And secondly, we need to keep it fed. And so what does that look like? One of the most important things that we need to understand about kingdom living and living in the kingdom of heaven is that the heart matters most. We see this time and again throughout Scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God is talking to Samuel, who is grieving that, that Saul uh, has lost favor in God's eyes and that God has chosen someone else to succeed him. And we, we see in verse 7, God says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was charismatic. He was good-looking. He was well-spoken. He was the ideal leader in man's eyes. In fact, you know, we see, if we look back earlier, God had actually selected Saul to be king. But Saul, in his heart had contravened God and had gone against God's ways. And so God had rejected him. And God wanted someone, most importantly, who wasn't just a stickler for rules and regulations, but who understood his heart, a man after his own heart. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9, we, we hear this famous saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on, of your gate. God wants, us, want, wants his people to be continually fed by his word. And he wanted them, wanted it to be imprinted on their hearts so that it permeated all of their motives, all of their attitudes, all of their, their think, thinking. Incidentally, this is the passage that Jesus quotes when he's asked, what, what is the greatest of all commandments? The Pharisees at the time were, were expecting him to choose one of the Ten Commandments at which Jesus goes back and he, he trumps that. He says it's not, it's not about following a letter because you can never follow the letter of the law. God's concerned about where your heart is. Paul makes a similar point when he points out that circumcision of the flesh is not as important as circumcision of the heart. In Romans chapter 2, verse 25, Paul, Paul writes, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have written the code and, the, and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, 
not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You know, and we might look at that and think, well, hey, this is a New Testament thing. You know, things are shifting and changing. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Tony's going to share us, with us about that next week. So, so things are different and things are changed and, and maybe this is a new teaching around circumcision. But it's not. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, Jeremiah says to, to, uh, to, to the men of Judah and, and Jerusalem, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your heart, O men of Judah, inhabitants of, of, of Jerusalem. See, God doesn't want people who call themselves Christians and go through the motions. He wants people who will engage with them honestly, authentically, completely, at a heart-to-heart level, be willing to be transformed from the heart up and out. So the point of Jesus here in his Sermon on the Mount about salt in light is actually talking about the witness that it has, the impact that it has on the world around us as the witness shines through out from outwardly from our hearts into the world. That those in darkness may see the light. Later on uh, in, in the next chapter in Matthew, which we're going to look at in a few weeks, Jesus says this statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, there are all these ways that we dilute the saltiness of our faith, the, the, the concentration, the or, or authenticity of our faith. And he nails it there. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. There are so many things that come into our life that cause us distractions, worries, anxieties, other, other priorities, other desires that, that don't put God first. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is not wholly and completely on God, then your witness is dimmed and dulled and diluted. Here he is, Jesus telling us not to let the witness of God, the work of God in our hearts be diluted as salt loses its saltiness, nor let it be hidden under a lamp or a basket. We need to foster the witness of the kingdom of heaven in our hearts. Now, growing up in the church, so many times we, we were taught different tracks or different ways to teach other people who didn't know Jesus about the gospel. The problem with that is its letters, its words, its concepts that don't necessarily have traction day to day in our lives we're, we're repeating regurgitating what we've been told but not what we're living we're telling people about a, a relationship that we idealize that we desire but often one that we are yet to step into and live we're simply being a mirror to someone else's mirror of someone else's mirror and eventually, down the line somewhere, there is someone living with a light. Jesus doesn't want us to simply be a mirror of someone else's light. 
He wants us to have that witness in our hearts, ourselves, not simply to bear witness, but to enjoy the relationship that we have been redeemed and restored to. Are you keeping your faith from being diluted by the priorities and worries of the world? Are you letting your faith be seen? Do you live out your faith where it matters most, not at church, not just on Sundays, not simply when you're surrounded by other Christians who pat you on the back and who'll reaffirm you and encourage you? But do people see the peace of God in your heart? The peace that transcends all understanding, guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do they see that where it matters most? In the midst of your crisis. Do you let people see your pain? Do you let people see that life isn't all roses? So that they can see the traction of, of the benefit of living in a relationship with God, a God who we trust. We've just finished a series on Joseph who went through all of this and his witness was clear, his witness was firm, it was consistent and it was authentic. Regardless of his situation, despite his circumstance, regardless of the fact that he could see no possible solution or, or benefit to his current predicament, he trusted that God had a plan, that God remained in control and that God was at work. And that is a witness that pierces the darkness of our world, the brokenness and the sinfulness that surrounds us to bring hope to the lost. Another test you might ask yourself is what, what does my witness look like to those who might chastise me or ridicule me, even persecute me? What do they see in my body language, in the way I look back to them? What, what do they see here in, in my tone of voice as I respond to them? And what message do my words convey? Do they see someone who is stubborn? Someone who is ready to bite back and retaliate word for word? Spite for spite. Someone who will seek to tear down their enemy and destroy all that opposes them and their way of living. Or do they see gentleness and compassion, grace and mercy, which defies all of their logic, all of their expectations because it's not how they would react. It's not how they would respond. The question has to be asked, what are we fueling our light with? When we fuel it with the right foot fuel, it burns brightly and clearly. But if we substitute it with something else, other priorities, other desires, other dreams and passions, the result can be destructive and cloudy 
I, I enjoy watching uh, shows like uh, Forensic Files and um, FBI Files and where, where they, they take you through the detective's work to uncover uh, a crime or a murder. And there was this one in particular where um, a husband had been killed and his wife was suspected. His body was found in their garage which had been engulfed in flames. It was through the forensic following the trail they realised that he had not been murdered. But they had a kerosene heater which they had fueled with diesel fuel. And when the husband had lit it, it exploded. And that explosion pushed him back where he hit his head. And that's what caused him to die. In the same way, when we fuel our hearts with anything but the Word of God, anything but the heart of God, we run the risk of our witness being destructive and cloudy. Have we allowed ourselves to dictate to God what path our faith will take? How, how many ways have we said to God, I will follow you, but I need to keep these things. I need to have these things in my life. I, I will give you all that I have except for this, this and this. And provided I don't experience these things, we, we put these limitations subtly, subconsciously, without realizing on our faith or upon God. It means that we have lacked complete surrender. It can be a process too. A process where we, we honestly give God our hearts and our lives and we don't realize there are things that we have, have withheld from Him and then the Spirit will say to us, Nick, there's this area of your life that you're holding on to, that you're prioritizing over me. I need you to surrender that. And we wrestle with God and we say, but God, I like this. I feel safe with this. I feel comfortable with this. I need this in my life. And God says, no, you don't. You need me. You need more of me and less of that. And eventually, if we come to a point where we're willing to say, God, you are right and I am wrong and I will give you that. That is the, the, the testimony of the Spirit at work. That is the, the fruit of, of a faith devoted to God. Yet when we refuse, when we refuse, we hold on to our hurts, we hold on to our bitterness, we hold on to our pride, when we hold on to our work, our income, our possessions, all above God, we diminish the value of His witness. In us and we are robbing ourselves of the fullness of relationship with him we talk about the heart mattering most in 1 Corinthians 13 
Paul talks about the importance of us knowing God's love and living that love out. That love which is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Yet before that, he says, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong. The witness of God in our heart is the witness of His love for us, His love on the cross to redeem us when we did not deserve it. We do not deserve it. I am and always will be a wretched sinner. In my own right, I have no claim to the righteousness that God has given me. But by His grace alone, I am saved. John takes it even further in 1 John 4, 8. And he, he says, uh, for 1 to 8, he says, this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many people calling themselves Christians have gone out into the world with false testimony. By this you know the Spirit of God, the witness, the testimony of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God is love. Let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The witness the testimony, the salt and light that exists within our lives is, is love. Not, not a love that we can produce or manufacture ourselves. Not a love that is confined by boundaries of human capacity and existence. But a love that comes from God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. When we think of the lost, the sinners in the world, those that get under our skin, that irritate us, that, that rub us the wrong way, those that push for uh, policies and agendas and ideologies that, that grate against the very fibre of our being, the fibre of the Word of God. How is our heart towards them? Do we feel compassion for them? Mercy? Are, are we drawn to sacrifice all we have that they may know God's love? Or do we find ourselves wrestling with our own hurt and bitterness against them, fighting against them? Paul reminds us in Ephesians that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and authorities in the spiritual world. 
don't let your salt, your saltiness be diluted. Let your light shine, feeding it from God. I find that when I'm most stressed, when I'm anxious, when I'm tired, when I'm overwhelmed, people don't see the best of me. I'm not perfect. I'm far, far from it. And they certainly don't see the best of God in me. But here's a couple of things that I hold on to to help me process and work through those seasons and those times and those days and hours and moments in my life. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take a moment when you are overwhelmed, when when you're at capacity, when you, you know that the witness in your heart is not the witness that it should be, to go to Him. Rest in Him. Sometimes it's just all too much and I'm overwhelmed. Uh, Jesus' encouragement for us when we feel like we're not enough, like, like we can't do enough, like we can't say enough, like we don't have the words or the wisdom or the knowledge. In, in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. These are the kinds of things that God is promising that we will receive in, in the blessings that we read last week. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. When we feel like there's something missing, like not enough, ask. Humbly ask before God and we will receive. So let's, let us stop our faith this morning from being diluted. Let God's light shine by taking time to come back to God, to rest in Him, take comfort in Him. Trust that He remains in control, that His plans are bigger and greater than ours. And asking, seeking, and knocking, that's wrestling. That's wrestling. It's not the answer comes straight away. It's, it's a process of being devoted to searching the heart of God, to know more of His love more of his peace and more of his gentleness and compassion and to let that light shine forth. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are only here because of you. Our our righteousness is not our own. We haven't earned it. We, We don't deserve it. But by your grace, your mercy, and your love, we are saved. Lord, we ask that you would help us to know that more and more each day. That our witness may be more and more purified each day. That our light may become brighter and brighter each day. That the lost, the desperate, the broken may see your light in us, know your hope, know your peace, and know your love.
Amen.